brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. There is much to learn. Things only the prophets can teach me. When will you be back? It's hard to say. Maybe a year. <gasps> Maybe yesterday. But I will be back. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Positively Trek Book Club, and welcome to the book club for 2024. I am so excited to get started with the book club for 2024 because we are embarking on a mission to cover some comics that have been coming out since 2022, and we haven't looked at them yet, but we are going to start with this episode. So without further ado, let me introduce my co-host for this journey. And that is, of course, Brandy Jackala. Brandy, welcome back to Positively Trek. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here because I love your perspective on the comics. I always love talking with you about the Star Trek comics. And this is kind of an ambitious thing that IDW is doing. And I'm just so excited to get into these, this ongoing Star Trek series that has been coming out. I wasn't following it. I was seeing the issues come out. And kind of what I'm hearing on the periphery is like, okay, Cisco's back. He's in command of a ship called the Theseus. He's got a, a crew of kind of the handpicked from around the Star Trek universe. Dr. Crusher seems to show up on some covers somewhere. Wait a minute. Is that Scotty? What's going on here? What's, what's all this? Uh, and so having finally read this first collection of issues, and that's what we're going to be talking about is the first omnibus edition called God Shock that collects the first six issues of this story. Uh, I'm not disappointed. I've got to say, I'm like, okay, it's weird. It's wild, but I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I like the uh, the chances that they're taking with this quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I was very impressed with some things that we'll get into, of course, where I just thought, oh, that is really cool. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Definitely. Big swings, right? Like that big is swings. something that always impresses me with Star Trek. And this is taking some big swings for sure. And and po probably big swings that wouldn't necessarily translate is extremely well to screen, mm -hmm. uh, which there's a great thing about comics is it can tell stories that wouldn't ne necessarily work in a motion picture or television sort of setting. It would be too difficult to to give it justice, I guess, is the way I'm trying to put it. So seeing seeing this story in this medium is, I think, really the best way to tell it. Yeah, and I mean, there, there's so many things you can do. Like we mentioned Scotty, right? Like you can yep. bring back Scotty. Obviously, there are barriers to doing that in live action. Uh, you don't have to pay Gates McFadden. Uh, you can have Brent Spiner playing Data looking as he does, you know, back in the day. And, and mm -hmm. you can do all these things with comics. And 
not to mention like just beyond the characters, the big set pieces, the, you know, yes. nowadays, you know, it seems like they have a ton of money to throw at stuff to do some pretty cool visual effects. So I actually wouldn't put a lot of this past them, but you know, they're only limited by the writer and the art, the artist's imaginations, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's the beauty of comics is you can set it in any time with these characters mm -hmm. and not have to worry about someone creating Scotty out of AI or <laughs> someone <laughs> trying to de-age people. It's just, you know, again, like I said, it's a story that could only be told in the comics, really, because of the elements. And that's the thing. The characters will live on regardless of what the actors do where they are in their lives or if they're even still around they can those characters will still live on absolutely for sure well let's uh dive right into this story so like i said we're talking about the first omnibus edition this beautiful hardcover edition yes, they've so they're beautiful. putting out like they're not even doing the paperback trade paperback ones they're just Good. jumping straight to these hardcover editions which they're gonna look amazing on the shelf guys like seriously pick <laughs> yeah. these up they are beautiful i don't usually buy things just to say like oh they're gonna look gorgeous on the shelf i mean obviously i read it this way as well i didn't read the individual issues but when all said and done the reason I picked these up is because of how they'll look on the shelf. They're so gorgeous. Yes. yes. Oh, <laughs> you know, I feel the same way about most of my hardback comics. They they really do always look good on the shelf. There's sometimes it's not cost effective to do. Like I had to get the entire original Hellblazer series. Mm. And that's like, I can't even remember how many volumes long. I want to say 35, 36. <laughs> <laughs> and it was expensive enough in soft cover. So mm. I I could not foot the like extra 10 to $15 for each volume just to get hardcover. But I right. did complete that collection. I did. That's amazing. That's really cool. Well, I want to talk a little bit, I guess, about the format of this. Like I said, the, the hardcover thing. The other thing I noticed, and I'm I'm a bit of a newbie when it comes to comics. I've been kind of getting into some comics in the last couple of months that are non-Star Trek. I used to always just read the Star Trek ones because of this, right? The podcast, the YouTube channel and stuff. But I've started reading other comics and other graphic novel collections. And I guess most of my experience has been with the Marvel side. So maybe other companies do it differently as well. But I notice in collected editions they they you know you flip the page and it's like very clear issue one issue two issue three i'm noticing in this one they're kind of blurring those lines a little bit like they'll have a splash page with the cover of the issue one two three four five and six but it's not clearly labeled like one or two or anything like that it feels like they're trying to make the experience that you're picking this up and you're reading a, a book mm. through and, and kind of blurring those lines between the issues, which I found an interesting choice as well, which, cause a couple times I had to go and like, Oh, where is the break between issue one and two or whatever? Because there's also these single pages that have information on it. And mm. that kind of feels like a break in the story. And then you realize, oh no, there's like four or five more pages of the story left. And then the next issue starts kind of jumping right into it. So do other comics do that sometimes? Or is that kind of a unique feature? It is, it is a bit more unique because most hmm. of the graphic novels that I have seen 
and even like my huge omnibuses, omnibi, is that right? I don't know, <laughs> uh, that are like, you know, an inch and a half thick. They often insert the covers before starting that next issue. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time at the end, you know, of that particular issue, they will put in the alternate covers that were available and stuff like that. It just depends on the company and who's doing the graphic novel or omnibus. But yeah, that's that's actually a pretty unusual thing as far as I've seen mm-hmm. when it comes to um, putting single issues together in a a graphic novel form yeah they do have the like i say the the full page cover of each issue yeah minus text before each story but they say they do have the alternate covers but it's all kind of given to you at the very end like yes they'll have a bunch of them and I, actually, I'm going to check. I don't think they're... Yeah, they, they don't even say which issue each cover belongs to. It just says underneath each one, art by, and then the, the artist. But uh, so it's just page after page of, of different beautiful covers. <laughs> yeah. And and if you ever want to know, you know, I've got the single issues, so I can tell you what goes where. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of them are obvious. Like there's a big Q, there's a bunch of Q ones. You're like, oh, okay, this is issue two, obviously. But, obviously. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> We're jumping ahead. <laughs> so I do have to say, uh, we will be getting into spoilers for this story. Uh, the, the word God is in the title. You got to figure Q is going to show up at some point. I, I hope that's not a huge spoiler, but, uh, we are getting right into spoilers with this. So if you've not read these issues, you might want to do that. Um, or if you want to be spoiled, that's your choice as well. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, I, I'm tired of talking about things without spoilers. <laughs> it's just too hard. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. No, to do this right, we've got to do spoilers for sure. So, yeah. Um, so to start out with, this doesn't actually begin with issue one of the, these stories. We do get the short story, the short comic story, A Perfect System from issue number 400. We talked about a few episodes ago in the Positively Trek podcast. If you want to hear about that story and our utter confusion at it, uh, go back and listen to that. I do have to say, after reading this now, it's a lot less confusing with it kind of in situ here and and, and seeing what's going on. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's what happened. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where context is is for kings. So mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely. So yeah, that was Gary Mitchell, and uh, it even gets referred back to later on in the story as well. So mm-hmm. we we kind of get what's going on there. But yeah, let's jump right into issue number one then. So we start out on Deep Space Nine. Kira and Jake basically in the same spot they were in the finale waiting for Cisco and Kira's kind of trying to get Jake to move on. Um, interesting timing on that though, because Cisco pops in and he's back <laughs> just like that. <laughs> you know, that has to be kind of weird because it would just be like, he's not there and now suddenly he's there. That's, that's creepy. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting how, I guess if this makes sense, how little pomp and circumstance there was behind it. Like mm-hmm. he just kind of like one minute he wasn't there and the next minute he was, which that's par for the course for the prophets. I wouldn't expect yeah. anything else, right? Yeah. With beings who exist in all time at once, they have no no context for 
you know, gradually fading someone <laughs> into a situation. <laughs> yep. I, that's another thing that's going to come up a lot is the prophet's relationship with time and how it's such a cool concept, but under any kind of scrutiny, it makes things fall apart in ways that us people who are tied to a linear timeline, just our brains break. So mm -hmm. um, true. there's some fun stuff there, but yeah, Cisco's back. Uh, he's reunited with Jake. The thing that I found really sad here, and this is a, a theme that's going to play throughout this, is Cisco is on this mission from the prophets. He's been sent back for a reason. And until that is complete, he's disconnected from his life. Like he can't resume. He can't pick up where he left off. And Jake says, you know, Cassidy is coming back to the station with your daughter, Sarah, your daughter whom you've never met. And Cisco's like, I can't wait. I have to go. And that is so heartbreaking. And to anyone else, to Jake and to anyone around must be so like infuriating and they like, they don't understand what Cisco's going through, but yeah, it's just like, oh man, I would be so mad at him. But he's got his mission. Yeah, well, um, when you find out what the mission is, it's kind of, well, the universe is at stake, isn't it? <laughs> I mean... A little bit. <laughs> isn't it always, Brandy? <laughs> it always is. Man, you know, it, I'm so glad that we as a species eventually develop space travel and all this stuff to get out there and deal with these things. Because, like, if this stuff started happening while we're all still stuck here on Earth, man, we're screwed. Luckily, luckily they hold off on the universe ending stuff until, you know, Cisco or the Discovery and Michael Burnham or whoever or, you know, Picard can go and stop it so that's good yeah it's like please please don't notice us please yeah don't please. don't do this in the 14th century just not wait not till the 24th yeah. <laughs> not not until we get our stuff together okay because you know we're we're a mess we are a mm -hmm. mess you know we're killing our own home and you know stuff like that so let's uh man's inhumanity against other men and it's just you know, we don't have our stuff together nope definitely can't face down a god killer yet nope so Cisco goes to an unlikely source for a starship, Jean-Luc Picard. And this is a bit of writing that I love in this comic because Picard's like, why are you coming to me? The last time we talked, like, I should, why are you coming to me? And Cisco's line here, when Picard basically says, ask, just ask for a ship then. You're a war hero. Like, why are you coming to me? Uh, you defeated the Dominion. And Cisco says, sure. And then I was taken by a mysterious alien race no one else understands and had my body and mind forever changed. Silence as they regard each other. That's why you, of all people. Mm. The guard's like, oh, damn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I thought. I went, oh. That was, oh my. I, would, I would never have drawn a line between Cisco's experience with the prophets and Picard's experience with the Borg. That is brilliant. I love that. It, it is brilliant. And it's, it's interesting because in, in Cisco's case, he chose to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, how do you say no to the wormhole aliens? Picard didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. He was basically kidnapped. So... It's, uh, but in any case, I, I mean, Cisco had no idea what was going to happen in, mm -hmm. in the temple of the ancients or whatever. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, 
being changed, being altered it, in Picard's way, definitely without your consent. In Cisco's way, he probably didn't have a lot of consent really either. It's like, no, we have to do this so that you can exist here. So, you know. Yeah. And I mean, not to mention that, like, basically his birth was engineered by mm -hmm. the prophets as well. So, you know, how much choice is involved there? Yeah. Like, when, when they've manipulated your life to such an extent, you know, where you would have a hard time figuring out where your choice ends and their decree begins, right? Yeah. And honestly... Um, were I in Benjamin Sisko's shoes and found all that stuff out, I'd be like, what the hell? Aren't you kidding mm -hmm. me with this? <laughs> Just to find out all choice had really been taken from you. You think you're your own person and you make your own decisions and they find out, oh, no, 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 no. We, we caused all of this so that mm. you would be at this point in time in this way. Uh, except, you know, they don't understand time. <laughs> so. so, yeah, that's an interesting thing. The prophets, like we say, they exist outside of time. So according to them, their deaths at the hands of this god killer ha have already happened. In so far as the words already and even the word happened can have any kind of meaning to the prophets, which, again, our human linear brains just chatter because what? <laughs> yep we start bleeding from the ears it just mm -hmm. our brains are leaking out of our ears and we just don't know what to do with that we can't yeah. we're so corporeal we just can't even fathom what that would be like so we get this ship picard knows somebody uh and wink wink also assigns data as cisco's first officer which if you read that scene like there's got to be a scene break in there and there's a second meeting that we're not seeing because picard's like why have you come to me for a ship that doesn't make any sense and cisco's like convinces him and he's like okay i have a ship also i have a first officer for you and data walks in at that exact moment with spot packed and ready to go <laughs> it's like okay no 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 there has to be a scene change here <laughs> like how does that work but I think they kind of expedited things a little bit there, but oh, Data and his little cat carrier. That's so oh, adorable. <laughs> it was so adorable and it made me happy. It did make mm -hmm. me happy. It, um, I thought, wow, we're going to get an interesting, interesting bridge crew here, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And an interesting ship too, the USS Theseus, appropriately named because at, at some point, Basically, every component of this ship has been replaced. So it is literally the ship of Theseus from the, the philosophical problem. And uh, this was fascinating. I, I was reading up on this and I had read these comics, but I didn't make the connection until I read this. We've actually seen this ship before in the Star Trek Year 5 series. It was the flagship of the Admiral when the Enterprise comes back to Federation space. And the history of this ship is it's... It was heavily damaged in the V'ger incident around the time of the motion picture and then was turned into an experimental test bed ship and, uh, well, it was mothballed and then turned into an experimental test bed ship that Scotty is in charge of. So that was kind of cool. I, I like this. This is an interesting ship. It is a very interesting ship and it's kind of like what uh, in the effects industry they call kit bashing. <laughs> they just take mm -hmm. a bunch of different parts and say, hey, this is cool. Let's throw all this on here. 
And so you've got all these different things that don't necessarily look like your typical Starfleet starship, but they are all components of Starfleet starships, just rearranged in a different configuration. And it's got a bunch of uh, interesting technologies that will come into play, including something called, uh, they refer to them about a million times throughout the story, solar voltaic power relays, which... My brain went like solar panels, like that doesn't seem like, but those would be solar photovoltaic uh, power. So they've taken the photo out of there and put solar voltaic together. And I'm still thinking like that just, I feel like that just means solar panels. We'll learn later that the solar, the star part of that is, is different, but we'll, we'll get there because that was a fun reveal. (laughs) Yes, it was. I was just like, wait, what? (laughs) that was that was literally me when i was reading it i was like wait what so you've mentioned that we have an interesting crew and uh we indeed do like we said first officer data included at the behest of captain picard i basically to kind of keep an eye on cisco i think Mm -hmm. uh we've also got dr crusher coming over from the enterprise that was that's great she's never featured enough you know It's always great to have her. Scotty, of course, the Theseus is his project. So he's down in engineering, calling up to the bridge, telling them he's giving it all he's got and all that stuff. So that's fun. Tom Paris is the helmsman. So that's fun. Mm -hmm. I love it. And then uh, a couple more who uh, we also have on the crew, uh, an Andorian named Lily Sato. First name is longer than Lily. That's the shortened version. Uh, apparently an, a, a descendant of Hoshi Sato. And, I would uh, she's, think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she's the communications officer, so. Gotta wonder how she and the Andorians got entangled. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering about that too. I'm I'm curious to find that out for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm complaining. I love me an Andorian, so. And we also have a Vulcan Ensign Talir, who, very cool, uh, seems to be a non-binary character addressed with the honorific MX instead of Mr. or Miss or Mrs. And I had to look this up because I couldn't qu- quite remember. Apparently there are a couple pronunciations. It can be mix or mux apparently for that. Uh, so um, mix to leer is how I would personally say that. But yeah, very cool. That's awesome. Yes, very cool. Of course, you know, I'm all for Vulcan uh, officers on any bridge. I love me Vulcans. So it's, uh, I, I was really genuinely delighted with this character. And they obviously are not your typical Vulcan, which I, I appreciate. <laughs> because mm. that's the thing. I think that Vulcans get kind of pigeonholed as a certain thing. And we need to see more of them to show that there is definitely a diversity in how they behave and how they interact. So I, I appreciate uh, Talir being a representative of that in this story. Mm-hmm. And apparently they have had some sort of disciplinary action in the past. Ooh, that I cannot wait to find out what that is. <laughs> yeah, I'm really curious too, because they, they're keeping it under wraps so far, but... There's, yeah. there's references to it. So, hmm. also 
a background character on the bridge that I hope kind of comes to the fore at some point and we learn a little bit more about her. Uh, there seems to be a First Nations, uh, North American First Nations character on the bridge with some mm-hmm. tra- elements of traditional dress and stuff. And I, I want to learn more about her. Yes, agree. I do also want to learn more about her. And I appreciate that uh, Starfleet is now allowing people to have their cultural references along mm-hmm. with their uniforms. There's arguments by some people that uh, Starfleet just homogenizes other races. Mm. And, you know, I think that that whole thing really came to light with Ensign Rowe and her earring and not yeah. being and wearing it despite the fact that it was against regulations. And uh, I think that was kind of the gateway for other people to be able to express their particular culture because that's you know that's an important thing you know absolutely i always found that bit in the episode ensign row just a little bit annoying because Mm. well for a number of reasons obviously that you've got Worf on the bridge he's got his baldric like come on yeah obviously there's there's some leeway there and even going all the way back to star trek the motion picture the recreation deck scene, there are actually a number of human characters with cultural dress on as part of the crew. Very uh, famously from background photos, another First Nations character with traditional feathers and, and various accoutrements like that. So, yeah. like, come on, Starfleet could do it in the past. Picard, why are you being such an old stick in the mud for Roe? I guess, you know, yeah, she's... They just took her out of prison, so maybe there's some less leeway there. But, like, still, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that was a very biased uh, decision. Mm -hmm. So, but that's just me. I always uh, really didn't like that. (laughs) For sure. All right. Well, so, yeah, this issue, they're, they're taking the Theseus out. And they're going to this nebula, Hephaestus, that this name has been in Cisco's head, the prophets put in there. And they go there and they encounter the crystalline entities, which All of was them, interesting. Apparently. All of them. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I'm questioning the use of the term God. And mm. it, it's it's thrown around very cavalierly in these issues. Maybe not cavalierly, maybe that's the wrong word, but uh, very broadly. And um, I'm I'm curious how you feel about that term being used in this. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's a couple different perspectives on that that might be interesting. Well, the way that I've always looked at quote unquote gods, whether they be fictional or the gods we have in our own society, to me, that has always meant a very advanced being, Mm -hmm. you know, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years advanced with knowledge that we can't even fathom because of our tiny human brains. Indistinguishable from magic, as it were. Yeah, pretty much. So it's like, are they immortal? No, they're just advanced, but we would think that they were gods. So mm. I, I, I've never put stock into that word God, like there is some eternal omnipotent being that's, you know, con- creating the universe and everything in it. I'm like, really? Do we really think that's the case? Sorry for people who have gods. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not trying to offend anyone. That is just my mm-hmm. personal viewpoint of, of what we consider gods 
to be. Mm -hmm. Just, I just think they're really advanced, really advanced races. So what about the crystalline entities? Like, it's interesting they kind of get grouped into this. They must be advanced in ways that we don't understand, which is Mm -hmm. fine. So obviously, it, it feels like either that was their territory or maybe they were lured there. It feels like mm-hmm. it feels like they were lured there because why would they all be in one place? They're impressive. And I got to say, at one point, Tom Paris pulls out what might just be like a holo camera or something like that. But for me, it looks like a Starfleet branded smartphone. Yep. <laughs> and he takes a pic of the view screen because Bolan is going to be so jealous. Uh, <laughs> That was weird. That was a weird, like, what Starfleet officer, first of all, they don't have pockets on their darn uniforms. Uh, oh, they do, though. Well, lower deck, the lower, lower decks decks ones do. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we have pockets? <laughs> but yeah, Paris pulls out, like I said, what looks like a phone and snaps a picture of the view screen. I'm like, hmm, I don't know about that. Like, that's irreverent for even Paris. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I think that once you become a parent, <laughs> all bets are off. <laughs> you That's have the audacity point. to freaking do anything. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine in this show if, like, you know, the helmsman or whatever of the ship is like, whoa, snaps a picture of the view screen. <laughs> What well, yeah, <laughs> it's it is it's funny, but at the same time, here's me looking at that and going, "But wouldn't you have all this information in your database now from scans and whatnot? I mean, right? <laughs> couldn't you just just download that?" <laughs> Can I? This is where I'm going to go on a little rant as an IT professional that's in my current job. Like if you're sending me uh, a ticket about some error you're getting on your computer, take a screenshot. There are a number of things in windows that can take, don't pull out your phone and take a picture of your computer monitor, please. They probably don't know how to do a a screenshot, Dan. That's the problem. (sighs) No, I know, but we are very free with that information. (laughs) We will let you know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but wow. yeah, that's, that's a good point though. Like, yeah, like download a copy of the scan of the, the ship is taking of these, like it's going to look better than your picture of the view screen anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, aren't you recording all of this anyway in real time? Isn't that what <laughs> sensors do? And so you could like do a, you could just like edit a part of that and just have a little home movie for Bolana. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, something comes in at this point, though, and kills all of the crystalline entities. And they are destroyed. The prophets aren't happy with Cisco. <laughs> He's failed, apparently. The crystalline entity that Cisco calls gods at this point are all dead. I wasn't expecting all of them, but there we are makes me wonder if there's there's just ragtag pockets of crystalline entities somewhere else in the universe but who knows yeah they might not have all have been there it's just it was just so weird and random it's like okay so we're going to this place where there's nothing oh here are the crystalline entities oh they're all dead it was just so what what is mm-hmm. this yeah and it seemed like i said i just i it seemed weird that they're equating them with gods i still don't 
really get the connection there. Like they're powerful. There was even some question in TNG if they were intelligent. Mm. And I, I think they are, but like you could make the argument that they're even closer to a natural non-sentient animal than a god. You know, they're just feeding and reproducing kind of thing, right? So I, I don't know. And and that's that's the thing. It's like we don't know. We have mm-hmm. no idea because we could never get enough information on them to understand whether they were sentient or not. And honestly, they could have a level of sentience that we aren't even aware of. Absolutely. We yeah. would never catalog as sentience because they're so vastly different in uh, chemical makeup that just how would we even know? Mm-hmm. So, but apparently, you know, this, this, whatever it is, wink, wink, that's killing all of these quote unquote gods seems to think that they are sufficiently advanced to be a problem. Well, from there, they uh, set course for, and this is getting into issue number two now, uh, they set course for Kronos and we get a reunion with Worf, who now I generally have really liked the art in these issues and that sort of thing. In this issue, I would not have known that was Worf unless Agree. until they like throughout this entire issue, even once you know he's Worf, I'm like, he kind of looks like generic Klingon number four. And I, I hate to say that, like they've got his ridges right, but his face, like he doesn't look like Worf to me. I don't know. I know. I feel the same way. And I could say that about another Klingon Mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about as well. (laughs) So Yeah. This, by the way, we should say takes place in between Star Trek Insurrection and Star Trek Nemesis. It's kind of in that period there uh, after the end of Deep Space Nine, obviously. And uh, Worf is currently an ambassador on Kronos. He takes Cisco to an audience with the Klingon Emperor Kalis, the clone of Kalis, who was installed by Worf. By the way, so Worf was present when, you know, he was basically responsible for Gowron becoming the chancellor because he killed Duras. And then he's the one that convinced Gowron to have Kalis installed as the emperor. And then Worf killed Gowron installing Martok. Because <laughs> this guy is, man, he... You, if you want to lead the Klingon Empire, get on Worf's good side. Mm-hmm. And don't <laughs> he is mess the kingmaker. <laughs> don't mess up. You you put mm-hmm. one toe out of line, and Worf will have you done in. Yeah. Usually he'll do it himself. <laughs> frankly. Absolutely. So, because you know that's that's the thing. It's like oh okay, change of leadership. Oh, mm, yeah, this was a bad idea. Okay, let's get somebody else up in there, and Worf has just decided that's his role. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, he's an ambassador, but he's still a Klingon. So yeah, they they talk with Emperor Kalis, and they they want to go to I guess in the center of Klingon space, they have these godlike beings called the Shapers of Sarkadesh. This is something we've not heard of before, right? Like this is new continuity. This this is something I've never heard of before. And if someone can prove me wrong, please do so. But this seemed completely new to me. Mm-hmm. It was interesting, like kind of an interesting piece of lore that they basically have the power to destroy empires, right? They're very powerful. But to keep them safe in Klingon space, basically, they've agreed to just kind of 
live and let live. And the Klingons are like, yeah, you're cool. Interesting. I just, I want to know, like, I want backstory on that, you know? Yes, agree. Because it just came out of nowhere and we know nothing about this. And you mm-hmm. would think that they would have given us some context through the Klingons, but they didn't give us much. Yeah. So, and of course the Klingons were going to go, yeah, it's okay to coexist here. I mean, what are they going to do? They could be completely wiped out in a second. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Especially given the uh, Klingons history of uh, having killed all their gods by, mm-hmm. with ancient warriors, which, well, we'll get there. <clears throat> so... <laughs> The Shapers of Sarkadesh, we get to meet them. Um, Sisko, against the wishes of the Emperor, goes to where they live in Klingon space. The negotiations with them are saved by Data, which is a really cool moment. I love Data in this uh, in this part of the story. I love Data in this entire story, frankly. Yes. Because of course it's data with his emotion chip, so mm-hmm. he can and he can still turn it off and on at will. Which, oh, if only we could do that. But some people might never turn theirs back on. Yeah. So I really appreciate the uh, the content given to data in this story because I mm-hmm. feel it's it's worthy of him. Absolutely, his kind of logical argument for humanity with the Perfect. the shapers of Sarkadesh. Love it. So yeah, they they get some intel from the shapers basically because of data, and they're off uh, off on their next you know they the next clue, and they're gonna figure out what to do next. But before this story ends, we get Worf confiding in Cisco that, gosh, he just loved being a part of this. This was fun, and he wants to be back in Starfleet. Yeah, because guess what? Being an ambassador is not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know how true this is, but there was a line. I don't know if it was filmed or if it was just in the script and was excised from Star Trek Nemesis where Worf and I think it was Dr. Crusher were at the wedding of Troy and Riker. And there was a line referring to his ambassadorship because a lot of people are like, why is he suddenly back in Starfleet? Well, we find out here, interestingly, if if you take this as part of your personal continuity. But in Nemesis, Crusher or Worf was supposed to say something like, in response to a question from Crusher, I found the duties of ambassador unfitting for my lifestyle or something like that. And Crusher was like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> 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 Which I thought, you know, that would have been nice. But mm-hmm. yeah. From there, we go on to issue number three. And this kind of promises to be about Talir, which I'm excited about. We've got kind of their their morning routine to start out with. And at the same time, Cisco and Dr. Crusher are talking and Crusher's kind of questioning basically his mental fitness and his motivations and stuff, uh, which that's the stuff I really enjoy. I love kind of delving into that because, you know, if I were Cisco's crew, I'd be pretty worried about stuff at this point. Yeah, I get that. And it's, it's a hard thing to, for the person at whom all this is targeted because they know what they have to do and they're going to get it done and they're going to still do their best to make sure everybody comes back and, uh, the crew doesn't necessarily understand that, and it's hard to communicate something like that. I mm-hmm. mean, you can say the words, but that doesn't mean that they'll necessarily feel them. 
So he's really in a precarious position in that regard because, you know, me, I'm like fully trusting Cisco is going to do what needs to be done. But at the same time, there do need to be checks and balances. Mm-hmm. So I can understand. And the funny thing is, is that Crusher's like, I'm not a therapist. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I'm not trying to be a therapist. I just have to make sure that, you know, you were you, basically. Which, you know, is a valid concern. Like, he mm-hmm. was taken by an unknown alien species and kept for an indeterminate amount of time. They live outside of time, so he could have been there forever and be a completely different person by now. Absolutely. So, it's good that Picard was in his corner to get this ship, but, like... Yeah. There's a lot of red flags or at least yellow flags here. Yeah, and and I get that. I mean, people were the same way with Picard after he was, you know, freed from the Borg. So, mm-hmm. it's it's mirroring that journey as well, which is mm-hmm. which is nice because again, Cisco had all of this this big problem with Picard because of Wolf 359. And and that's the thing. It's like he, he, he was so blinded by pain and grief and anger that he couldn't possibly try to understand what it was like to be taken against your will and turned into something else. And mm-hmm. the horror of that being in your own body and unable to actually move your own body of your own free will, your consciousness just being locked in a cage Mm-hmm. And uh, and that always, you know, upset me on, on behalf of Jean-Luc because it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his choice. And it's something that will come back to haunt him more than once. It's and now Cisco's on that side of the fence and he's kind of like, ah, should have been nicer to Jean-Luc. <laughs> it's probably yeah. I mean, it's not really expressed, but I'm pretty sure that's going on in his head somewhere. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, they're both victims of the Borg. Yeah. Right. And yeah. uh it's it's hard to see through the the pain for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I think they get there. I'd like to think there's an an off-screen at some point reconciliation. Yeah, sort of reconciliation. I'm I'm going to have that in my head canon. Yeah, for sure. We've got Talir and Jake hanging out, which is fun. I like these two together. I love that Jake is cooking. You know, that's Great. But something happens in between all of this. There's something going on and we quickly find out that it's Q. Q is back and Cisco immediately punches him again. <laughs> yes. And not only punches him, but like holds him down. And keeps <laughs> punching him. I loved also this, uh, these little like log entries about mm-hmm. Q Yep. You know, 10 entries from the Enterprise under Picard, seven entries on the USS London from Captain Dolan Prem, Voyager, four entries, Cisco, one entry, Q came to Deep Space Nine today. I put my fist through his face. End of log. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) This this is another one of those things. um, The artwork, I feel like, is not as good as it could be i agree with this issue in particular absolutely and especially where q is concerned and i'm like that's q huh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i mean early on it's you know they make it obvious by having him in his judge's robes but like 
at the end of the story, when all is kind of resolved, he's kind of almost this blonde haired guy in Mm -hmm. an engineering uniform. And it took me, I was like, Oh, that's supposed to be cute. Basically there's the, the second frame, the artist captured something of his face. And I was like, Oh, there he, there he is. That's John Delancey. But like, other than that, this seems to be just some random person. <laughs> I did yeah. not realize it was Q. Yeah, that's what I felt. Because everybody else, you can tell who they are. Well, where there's the problem with Worf, as we discussed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in my opinion, Kalis is also suffering from the same problem. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, it's just like, oh, you could have done a little bit more there to make this person recognizable. And it makes me wonder if they were told not to uh, for some reason. I'm just not sure. The artwork in this issue in particular just generally is not my favorite. Mm. There's some parts in it that are are well done. Like I mm-hmm. enjoy kind of the the one page where it's uh horizontal lines all the way down as Jake and Talir run through the various so decks with various great. things are going on. That was wonderful. Like who like this artist is suited to that. Like that looks great. But uh yeah, close-ups and, and recognizable faces are more difficult, I think. Yeah. Also, like, this story might be my least favorite of the bunch, too, yeah. where it kind of seems like Q shows up, screws around with them for a little bit, and then gives them a hint and leaves, which I guess isn't outside of out of character for Q at all, but it just seemed like treading water a little bit with mm. some shenanigans until we get on with stuff. Yeah, this was this was the comedy episode. And uh strangely it's it felt like cuz Q can rub me the wrong way a lot of the mm-hmm. time. And and that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to rub people the wrong way, and I understand that. We didn't have enough of him to do much rubbing of the wrong way in this issue. Yeah, that's the thing. Also, if if it is supposed to be the funny hijinks issue, then there's not enough hijinks okay. in it. No. You know, it just kind of, we get glimpses of some situations. I guess the people on the bridge are in a Western or something. And like they solve the thing by doing some techie thing with the deflector. And I don't even really understand what they did there. Well, it's an experimental ship, so whatever. But like they've never they've never overcome Q by rerouting power to something and activating something. Like that mm. you know, you overcome Q via wits and persistence. Yeah. That felt felt a little flat to me. Yeah, it it was because I thought you're gonna have Q and this is how you're gonna use him. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying, oh, yeah, we're getting out of here. That was interesting. Like, I want to know more about that. Like, the Q are hightailing it out of here because of this god killer. Well, they are advanced beings, so. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't want to judge the story on what it's not. Like, that's mm. something that I feel like yeah. a lot of critiques do, which is not a good thing. That said, like, how interesting would it have been to, like, visit the Q continuum again? And see mm-hmm. them packing up and like what that looks like. And then like we're <laughs> headed out kind of thing. And and the the weight of that, like quote unquote omnipotent beings scared and running for their lives. Like yeah. that deserved to my mind more than a line. Like mm-hmm. that should be the focus of the story. Like let's set up the stakes of this instead of 
Q on his way out is going to like screw around with Cisco a little bit and then give him a clue and then leave, you know, have Q be desperate, have Q like that would be fascinating. But again, that's not the story that's being told here. So I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not armchair quarterbacking in that respect. I, I, I shouldn't do that, but this story that we get just felt underwhelming to me. I agree. I agree. I really loved that page of hijinks of Talir mm-hmm. and Jake. That was a lot of fun, especially the one when they're underwater and there's just no dialogue because <laughs> they're underwater. <laughs> that tickled me. But and 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 now because we've been talking about it, I'm I'm see, I'm visualizing in my head how he, you know, mortal beings, quote unquote mortal beings uh, see the Q continuum, like the small town street and people sitting on their porches and reading stuff. And then actually now they're all just throwing stuff in trunks and hitching up the wagon. <laughs> just, that's, that scene's going on in my head now. I love the, sorry, from this page to the ballroom dancing thing. <laughs> and Jake's like, okay, trust me on this one. Just let me lead. And Talia's like, I, very well. <laughs> That was great. <laughs> I loved that. That that was a great two-page spread. <laughs> and then the tribbles. Come on, Jake Cisco. There's one more deck. How can, bad could it be? Pretty bad, Talir. <laughs> <laughs> They're literally multiplying as we're running from them. I pictured the trouble with Edward, like them just filling that ship, right? <laughs> yes. Like, Yes, that's exactly what was happening. That corridor was full. So yeah, Q gives them the hint to seek out the god city of Takan. Woo! And then leaves. That that seems to be the point. That's why he was there, basically. So we have our next uh, hint of where to go next. Yeah, which is nice. Love uh, hearing Takan referenced again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Takans are going through a bit of a renaissance with... Uh, yes. Yeah. Between the video game and the prequel comic and now reference it here. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's just it was one episode of the original series and it's still kicking all these years later. It's like, TNG, yeah, hey, let's, yeah. Go, let's go back to Takan. Oh, you're right. Sorry. Um, anyway, yeah, it's just uh, it's interesting that 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 started that long ago and. It's finally getting some light shown on it. By the way, if you haven't played Star Trek Resurgence, what's yes. wrong with you? <laughs> it is fun. It's a, it's an interactive episode of Star Trek, and it's so good. I really enjoyed it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Positively Trek. We truly do appreciate each and every one of our listeners, and I'd like to especially thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of Positively Trek and join our crew, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, ad-free episodes and more again that's patreon.com slash positively trek thank you all and live long and prosper uh we've got cisco taking the ship to where this god city of takan is and uh my favorite bit in this comic is you know cisco's deciding to do this and data is like i'm experiencing worry about this perhaps we should consult the admiralty and and or the admiralty and get permission and <laughs> there's just a beat and cisco goes ah! <laughs> <laughs> and he says mr data it's charming that you think i'll be swayed by risk or that i'd wait on saving the galaxy to ask for permission <laughs> well, let's go <laughs> Yeah, because that's the thing, you know, bureaucracy, it can be just a field of blockades, you know, Mm -hmm. because people can't agree in a timely fashion over what needs to be done, what should be done, etc. And so while they discuss all the options, people are dying! Yeah. So I totally understand Cisco's uh, viewpoint in this situation. Well, yeah, they they do proceed to uh, where this you know, basically the center of the Takan Empire, and uh, Data's got an interesting point. Like they met the portal of the Takan Empire, but he seemed to just be a man, like not and not a god. But they find out that at the center of the Takan Empire is what they would term a god. This hyper intelligent life form that they basically harnessed to do their bidding or you know protected and it served them whatever relationship you want to ascribe to that and uh, this was fascinating like kind of a cool piece of lore for the Takan and and what made their empire so powerful right yeah well isn't their thing like rearranging star mm-hmm. systems and crap it's like what yeah. How did you do that? And then you find out. And uh, honestly, the word that I would use for that being was enslaved. That mm-hmm. being was enslaved. Yes. But while they're there, they, they discover it. It's, it's not dead. It's slumbering, basically. And uh, this Klingon bird of prey shows up. Uh-oh. And uh, they find out that their god killer would seem to be the Emperor Kalos. Yeah. Now here's where I'm going to make an interesting point. Maybe not interesting, but it's a point that I want to make. Star Trek has a very specific viewpoint of clones, and that is all of them are bad. (laughs) Clones are bad. So it seems to me not surprising that it would be Kalos behind this whole thing. Because when has a clone ever had a good outcome in Star Trek. <laughs> That's a good point. Huh. Yeah, like even Thomas Riker ended up joining the Maquis and being a jerk. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 William Boimler went and joined Section 31. You mm-hmm. that is a great point. 
Like even, oh my goodness, I smell a video idea. Okay, <laughs> very cool. You're welcome. It's just, it's just something that occurred to me when I was rereading this. Uh, which was yesterday because I wanted it to be really fresh in my mind. I was just like that and like, well, of course, Kalis is going to be a jerk because he's a clone. And then I'm like, oh, oh. And then I started thinking about all the Wayun clones, etc. Yeah. And all these things. And every clone that we've seen in Star Trek, has it ever ended well? No, it hasn't. Now I'm going to be like racking my brain for the one good clone out there, and I can't think of them. Well, you you might come up with an example, but overall, the message is clones are bad. Yeah, no matter how they're created. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so Kalis turns out to be the baddie here. So basically at this point, Kalis is making a run on this creature and the Theseus is giving chase. And that's kind of where this issue ends. I do have to say the artwork in this one, I absolutely immediately recognize this as Kalis right away. Much better than uh, the previous one. He, he does look a little bit like Kor though, if I'm being honest. I could see that a little yeah. bit, but he's kind of got that, he's kind of squat and, mm. and they've, they've emphasized that a bit. And I think they did a, fairly good job so next issue we're right back in the chase there they're chasing them through this uh you know the the remains of of the Takan empire city here to try and stop him from killing this god but in the meantime they've managed to get boarding get a boarding party aboard the theseus and this was a moment where i am so glad i was not spoiled for this <laughs> Because I was shocked, shocked, I tell you. And any time a Star Trek story can completely catch me off guard, I am on board for. Alexander is part of this cult, mm -hmm. basically. He's part of this group, the Red Path, that are trying to kill all the gods. And Worf has to fight Alexander aboard the Theseus here. I was blown away. I did not expect that. That was very cool. Didn't even occur to me. And I'm happy, honestly, to see Alexander back because that character got shafted mm -hmm. so hard on multiple occasions. And honestly, let's 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 be honest. Worf was not a good father. No, absolutely not. They even call that out in the issue here with one of those little Elkars inserts with uh, clinical notes by Deanna Troy which mm. I loved because Worf's obviously a really bad father and Deanna tries to help him through stuff, but you never really hear like deep criticism of how Worf is handling things. And I think sometimes that may be what was needed in this little log entry Deanna says, Alexander's sessions have been notable in one overwhelming way. His relationship to his father is a gaping wound. While I know Commander Worf to be a good man and an exemplary Starfleet officer, he is failing his son. I have asked Worf on multiple occasions to sit for a formal or informal session, and he has shown a classically Klingon reticence to speak with me on the issue. Worf's own human upbringing should provide empathy towards his son's situation. I fear it is only pushing Alexander away. Mm. I love that. I wish we got that on screen where Deanna just completely upbraided Worf for what he's doing and how he has to change or he's going to lose his son, which is what happened. Yeah. Stubborn. And now, yeah, Alexander is part of this, this force of Kalis's 
which uh, gives Worf some interesting motivations here when Cisco they determine a way that they can destroy Kalis's ship, and Worf just completely is, what are you doing? You cannot kill the Klingon Chancellor, or the Klingon Emperor, excuse me, and also his son, right? Too little, too late, Worf, is what I'm yeah. going to say, but anyway. <laughs> Agree. Agree completely. I'm like, you had so many chances, buddy. You had so many chances and I love you, but you, you screwed this up big time. I don't even yeah. know how you begin to reconcile that large of a wound. Yeah. Which was sad because in Deep Space Nine, they were kind of on the path to reconciliation. And uh, I, I, I do want the backstory and I'm assuming we will in the Star Trek Defiant spinoff, which... We're getting set up here. We'll get to that. I'm assuming we'll get some backstory on how, what, what happened to Alexander in the meantime, because he was in the Klingon defense force. He seemed to be kind of finding his place a little bit. Uh, he was, you know, excited to be a part of Worf and Jedzia's wedding. And then we never see him again, again, after that. Uh, so what happened? What's going on? We've also got later this year, a Star Trek Sons of Star Trek series with that he's a part of. So I'm assuming we'll get some interesting developments there as well. So Worf and Cisco definitely not seeing eye to eye here. Cisco says, get the hell off my bridge. Worf says gladly and stalks out. Not a good moment. Uh, cause yeah, Cisco, like I said, is about to kill the Klingon emperor but what happens next is something that I find interesting where the prophets are urging him, you must fire, you will fire, you have fired. There is only one future. You must kill the heretic. And Cisco basically is like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go my own way. This one's on me. I thought that was a cool moment. You were talking earlier about choice in the face of the prophets. This is Cisco's choice. And I love that. And if they... <sighs> Because, you know, when he came back, there was a lot of stuff in his brain and it's been fading the the longer he's away from the wormhole aliens. And so he's now getting back into that Cisco, I'm not going to take your crap anymore kind of persona. Good for him. And uh, I really appreciate that he made this choice. Yeah, absolutely. So he's going to beam down to this god city of Takan and, and protect the life form that's there from this weapon. And we don't get a lot of explanation. He just throws up a force field and that seems to, seems to do the trick. So yeah. that's Again, good, I guess. Again, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I know, I had to go back and reread this a few times to see, like, are they explaining this? It's like, no, he just, he, he beams down, hits a few buttons and there's a force field and it stops the thing. And Kalis is frustrated, so he leaves. Well, if it's advanced technology, I guess I can just write it off to that. Mm -hmm. But how would he know what buttons to push? Does he know the Takan language? Is it a Starfleet thing he uses? I don't know. Like it's, and is that enough to stop the thing? I guess it is, whatever it is. But following him, though, are Jake and Dr. Crusher as well, that he's, he's very frustrated with that. He did, he wanted to go alone. But like I said, Kalis gets frustrated, he leaves, and the god city of Takan awakens in pain. Basically is like, what the heck are these things on me? They must be causing the pain. Oh, I see where you're from. I'm going to consume your home. And sets off to Earth. Oh, crap. It kind of reminds me a little bit 
of the very first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation mm. about an advanced mm -hmm. being being enslaved and forced to do all of these things. It just, uh, it reminded me of that. Not completely, but there are some similarities there. Yeah, for sure. I could see that. I, I had that thought a little bit as well, but... Thankfully, the the jellyfish didn't misunderstand the humans' intentions and weren't capable of setting off and destroying Earth as well. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. But this one can. And mm -hmm. uh, so the final issue, we've got it heading off towards Earth and this one, like, one page of it in pain and physical and emotional pain if you read through what he, what it's saying this was incredible i love the artwork here agreed and how the all the different thoughts are layered in mm -hmm. different you know some are you know fully opaque and some of them are kind of faded and you have to really focus to read everything that is going on on that page. Yeah, and there it's responding to Cisco trying to reach out to the prophets, right? Looking for his mother to to get guidance and you know this this creature is like left all alone left all alone for years used for years no mothers here i was a child when they found me i thought they were family they told me they were family i made myself their tool you think you can kill me and awake me in pain i can smell your home across endless lights they worship me, but they were my captors. I will not be caged again. Like there's mm. so many. Oh, I love that. It's chilling. That is what is headed towards Earth. Well, you can't blame the sentiment. It's just got the wrong target. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's lashing out in fear and trauma. Speaking of fear, Data is in command of the Theseus, and I love this. That like he's feeling things, and he's like. So many feelings. And he's like, do not run from the feelings, just act. And then Data takes command, like really, you know, uses all of the Theseus's resources to uh, chase down this life form. It's getting faster and faster and faster. And they're starting to hit the barrier where they can't go any faster. But Data has read up on this ship and he knows a little something about it. It's like, Mr. Scott, to address this, please activate the Theseus's classi classified propulsion system. I didn't know what you're talking about. I looked over your designs. I know it's there. Please activate it. Uh, oh, okay. Um, so it's this transwarp, he says. And Scotty says, oh, no, no. Transwarp's nothing but a dead end. We call this little beauty protowarp. They've got a protostar drive, the proto, <laughs> the prototype protostar drive. <laughs> Love it. Tying Love into it. prodigy, prodigy, tying into prodigy and giving us a little bit of a, a prequel to that. That made me squee out loud. It really did. That was so good. And Data himself, I am experiencing pride. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that Data used his emotions in this because he could have just mm -hmm. turned that off. And I love that he did this from an emotional standpoint as well as a logical one. Yeah, absolutely. And I speaking of emotions too, the the climax to this, mm. how it's solved, I love this, where Cisco is regretting the choices he's made, how he's hurt Jake and the people around him, and how the prophets have kind of 
forced his hand in this in this way and the life form picks up on that and understands and sees the relationship between cisco and jake and the hurt that has been caused and he the life form gets it and stands down i was really i started to think about like star trek discovery season three right the pain of sukal is what caused the burn the pain of this creature is what's causing the threat to earth here and it's an emotional appeal that resolves things like people will point at discovery and say oh it's all about feelings and blah 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 yeah everything is all about feelings and trauma and hurt and that is the root of so much pain and i love that this story addresses it in those terms yeah it's called emotional maturity people mm -hmm. which means that you understand that you have emotions and you can express them in a healthier way instead of just acting like emotions are the enemy i just i've never understood that criticism of discovery it has always bothered me bothered me because it's like um we are made of feelings y'all okay if we didn't have emotions we wouldn't be the human race mm -hmm. and for you to criticize that being shown in a science fiction setting is ridiculous it is yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Well, I feel, yeah, they do a great job of of using that in this story here and, and making a really, like, touching ending here. Cisco has all this regret for not being there for the birth of his daughter, for the the death of his, of his dad and Jake's grandfather, right? And all of this, the creature, I understand. And meanwhile, at Earth, we've got this fleet that's getting ready to take it on, and Cisco you know, is telling them to hold their fire. This is a diplomatic opportunity. So Star Trek. I love this so much. I do too. I do too. Because that's, that's the thing about conflicts, finding common ground. Mm -hmm. And Cisco recognized in this being something that he experienced. And they found common ground and understood each other. And that's, you know, I don't know what the Takan were really like. I mean, we can go from from what happened in Resurgence that they were kind of a-holes. But, um, <laughs> but when you found an empire, I mean, empires, come on. Mm -hmm. That's that's pretty, that's, that's a dick move. But it's just so interesting that they used emotion to solve this. And it makes me super happy. So all the haters can suck it. The interesting thing you mentioned about the Takan as well, like, I feel like there's a, there's an analogy here. Like mm. they built their empire on the back of this, this creature that they enslaved. I mean, our modern society is built on the backs of people that oh, yeah. we're exploiting too. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm letting my politics show, but there you have it. Like, I, I feel like if you wanted to dig into this, there's some interesting parallels there that we could explore for sure. Well, yeah. Well, see, that's the thing, though. It's not about politics, is it? Because it's history. Mm. It is history. My country was built by slaves. Our country is built on the backs of others. And a lot of times there may be a country that was built on the backs of others, but they chose to do it. They, they cooperated. That was not the case here. Mm-hmm. And that was not the case in a lot of other places. Not there's the case nothing in Canada either. <laughs> yeah. <there's, laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's not about politics. It's, that's history. That's history. Mm -hmm. 
that enslaved people built this country. And the Tacan Empire is no different with yep. uh, this godlike creature. So the story ends with uh, this immediate threat having uh, been resolved. But now I'm actually wondering, what what's this creature going to go do now? Like, where is it going to live? I'm curious, like, what what its plan is. I, I, I'd love a follow-up at some point. Yeah, where is it from? Can it go mm-hmm. back there? Are there yeah. others still others like it still around go find mommy are they gonna have to try and keep it safe still from this like is the god killer still gonna be after it as well that is something to worry about (laughs) yeah definitely but uh yeah so like i say that god killer is still out there calus and his uh army i guess that seems to be the threat at the moment that is still at large and to do the next Part of this, Cisco is taking Theseus and his crew back to where it all started. We're going home and we see the Theseus approaching Deep Space Nine at the end of this. So we're going to see DS9, I guess, in the next part and yeah. hopefully a reunion with Cassidy and meeting his daughter for the first time. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll get those questions and answers addressed in a a future segment of this because we intend to keep going we are going Mm -hmm. to continue uh, talking about these the next one we're going to do though is the first chunk of the star trek defiant spinoff because when Worf left the bridge he got in a shuttlecraft and left left and Mm -hmm. he's got his own idea of how to deal with stuff Or so it seems. I don't know. I haven't read these yet, (laughs) but uh, I'm looking forward to that spinoff. But going back to this, what did you think overall? I I feel like I kind of know what you thought, but uh, how are you liking this? Are you enjoying the direction they're going? What are you looking forward to? I think it's a very interesting story. And I think it's an interesting way to bring Cisco back. Like he's back for a reason. Instead of just like, I'm done. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've learned all I needed to learn. Now I'm back yeah. and wise. <laughs> Something like that. Except his brain can't continue to hold all that stuff, you know, because he's still just a mortal when he is in his mortal flesh. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really interesting story. It had a few moments that were kind of, hmm, it, which we've already discussed. But I think overall it was interesting. It certainly whet the appetite for more. And uh, I want to see the uh, ongoing adventures of uh, Captain Sisko up on the Theseus. And, uh, of course, with it kind of being the gateway for the Defiant series, which I also really enjoy. It's just, it's Deep Space Nine goodness. I love it. I love it. (laughs) But I really love this kind of um, diverse crew that they've got going on on the Theseus. It's very interesting. I want to know more about uh, Lily Sato. I want to know more about uh about Talir and there's just I I'm excited for more. I think that this is one of the more interesting overarching stories that uh that we've had for these particular characters. Yeah, it feels like they've they've gotten a like a lot of free reign to do some really fascinating stuff. And yes. now Star Trek isn't Star Wars. The comics and books are not canon. So mm-hmm. uh you can you can include whatever you like in your personal Head continuity is kind of how I think of it. But, you know, future television and whatever won't be beholden to these stories. But 
I think they're doing some interesting stuff to to fit it in and and make it make sense with what we see on television and in films. So, you know, there's there's nothing to say this couldn't have happened, at least nothing yet to say that this couldn't have happened. So, yeah. Um I'm enjoying this. I think the storytelling is a lot deeper and more mature than I was expecting. Mm. I think there's always a a bias in my head to underestimate comics that I need to work out for myself, which I'm working on. I'm reading a bunch of comics and always very pleasantly surprised by uh, what I'm reading. So this is no exception. And in fact, might be some of the best comic stuff that I've read in quite a while. So full marks for this. I'm really fascinated to see where it goes. And Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, great writers. They wrote for Star Trek year five back in the day. I'm reading some other stuff they're doing for Marvel. I think Star Trek's really lucky to have them crafting this story because they clearly know their stuff. Agreed. 100%. I want to see more of their work. Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a Thunderbolts mini series going on that I've read the first issue of that I'm really enjoying that they wrote. So sweet. Yeah. Well, Brandy, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Oh, it's my distinct pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm, I love being the comics girl. <laughs> I'm so happy to talk comics with you. Uh, this is so much fun. That's all I, ke- I keep saying it, but it's so true. <laughs> yes, same for me. So much fun. Well, once again, thank you all for listening. We will see you in two weeks for the book club episode on the first chunk of Defiant Stories and a regular episode of Positively Trek next week as well. Until then, as always, stay positive. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.